welcome to Better Than Mario Brothers, where each episode we delve deep into cinema sewer. I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, my partner in podcasting, Miss Helen McIntyre. Hello. And no Mark Williams again this month, unfortunately. Mark's still dealing through some horrible life shit, so he's left us holding down the fort. Um, I do feel quite bad for him because he did watch um, this film and is now unable to feedback. So yeah. we have some notes. Yeah, with his um, wife, but luckily the marriage is still intact. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, yeah, let's not bury the lead. That gives you an idea of what we think of this film, I suppose. Um, <laughs> at time of recording, it's Valentine's Day. So, yeah. you know, I figured, why don't we watch a nice rom-com on the network for mm. Valentine's Day? Let's be thematic. So I took the opportunity to suggest 1999 Sarah Michelle Gellar's star vehicle, Simply Irresistible, which I've seen too many times to admit, if I'm honest, but I thought, you know what? It's been a long time since I submitted you guys to something truly, truly bad. Yeah. So let's go for it. And, you know, nothing says I love you like magic crabs. So why not? Yeah. All you need to do to find love is get yourself some crabs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't even know where to start with this film. But before we do dive in, <laughs> uh, Mark also did offer some feedback uh, on last month's episode when we looked at Overlord. Um, so he did just want to say that he agrees with everything we said about Overlord, apart from one thing, which is that he knows the motorbike bomb was logically bollocks, but he was far enough down the rabbit hole with them that he thought it was awesome, which it, which is the best compliment you can pay that film, I think, because if yeah. Mark isn't looking for logic gaps, then, yeah. you know, that film was definitely doing something right. Yeah, if Mark so, is on board with you and me being just like, fuck it, let's go, then you know you're onto a winner. Yeah, that film was definitely doing it right. So, you know, from one extreme to the other, yes. I guess, yes. <laughs> as we dive into Get my notes and my very strong alcoholic drink. Um, yeah, so I, I think Mark's just given us a general statement, so I think we'll we'll start off with that, really. Mm -hmm. um, Mark's view, I asked him if there's anything he wanted to say this evening, and he said he doesn't think there's anything specific he'd like to say about this film, other than express his total abject confusion about more or less the entire thing. <laughs> so I think that tells you everything you need to know about Mark's response, really. Um, for me, I was actually... I was quite excited to rewatch this. I haven't seen it in about probably 15 years. Um, I used to have a hooky copy on VHS because um, as far as I'm aware, up until the advent of streaming, this was never released in the UK. I think it may have had a very, very small cinema release from what I remember, like so small that I couldn't even find it. Um, and that was well after the fact as well. So I had a hooky copy that pretty much got worn out, not because this was good, but because it was on a long play cassette after Cruel Intentions, which is genuinely good. Yeah. Um, so I'd normally watch the two back to back. So I have seen this quite a bit, but not for a long time. So I remembered it being fucking god awful. Like I constantly list it as one of the worst films I have ever seen. It's certainly the worst rom-com I think I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe it's not that bad. Like maybe I was just being a snooty film school kid at the time. <laughs> Um, turns out I wasn't turns out it's no. really that fucking bad yeah. um, not to bury the lead but I guess let's go then I've, I mean I've got notes I have got a few pages of notes um, not as much as I normally would have you know last month with Overlord I didn't make that many notes because I was enjoying it so much yeah. this time I haven't made that many notes because 
I mean, nothing happens in this film. There's no plot, really. There's oh, God. nothing to write about. Uh, most of my notes are me wanting it to be better and do things differently because I'm just like, if this is if this is your premise and this is where you're going to go, then can we at least lean into the comedy? Can we at least lean into the fact that she's basically serving them like weed cakes? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a thing. And we'll we'll definitely get onto that. Um, just because this film is is Buffy adjacent. Um, I know far too much about this film. And uh, there are lots of theories about this film. There is lots that has been posited to the director and the writer over the years who incidentally are a married couple. We're a married couple. Sorry, the director passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I'm still going to trash this film. I'm sorry. I know he's not here to defend himself. But, you know, realistically, even if the dude was alive, he wouldn't listen to us anyway. No. So who cares? Um, but, you know, I do just want to put that out there. You know, wrong to speak ill of the dead and stuff like that. RIP yeah. and what have you. But still, fucking awful film. Um, so, yeah, the, the weed cake thing that's a theory that's been floated at both writer and director several times um they're adamant that's not a thing but understand the reading there are several readings of this film um and we'll get on to those as well i i think to start with though just in general i kind of agree with what you said i think every time i watch this film i feel like i want it to be something else and yeah. i feel like that's because actually they've got all the ingredients no pun intended like the, the kernel yeah. of the idea is good the cast are very very talented like the cast are excellent if there's one good thing about this film it's them but i mean patricia clarkson fucking steals every I, scene I mean, that she's in patricia clarkson's patricia clarkson yeah she's, I know. she's never bad she was the right. only thing that got me through the film though i'm not gonna lie like genuinely if she hadn't have been in the film i think i might have just had to have tapped out this is the closest it, yeah. I've ever come to tapping out. It's hard. I mean, th there are a few things that get me through the film. Sarah Michelle Gellar being the main one. Like, I, I stand for that woman more than I think it's possible for anyone to stand for anyone with anything ever. Like, if I live to be 102, I don't think I'll ever love an actress as much as I love Sarah Michelle Gellar ever again. She's, she's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, so even in bad shit like this, I'll stay the course. Yeah. Um, it's why I've got it on hooky vhs and now i've fucking paid far too much money for it on digital and a hd copy yeah you know it's why i own scooby-doo memorabilia it's why like it, this is not the worst thing i've yeah. done for and Sarah also, Ever, is what i'm saying to, to temper all of the criticism that i'm going to start slinging this film's way in just a second i want to clarify that this isn't criticism of Sarah Michelle Gellar or her acting because I think that she really nailed the character that she wanted to play. The problems that I've got is the way that the character was written. If so, we start criticising Sarah Michelle Gellar, I swear to God, I will cut a bitch. Yeah, so, I'm not criticising yes. her at all, 100%. Like, she nailed the characters, the dynamics were there, the emotions were there. It's just she had fucking nothing to work with. Yeah, completely. Um, I've got several notes to, to that extent as well. Um, I don't think she's bad in this film. No. I just think she genuinely doesn't understand what the fuck she's supposed to be doing. And that's not her fault. That lays with the director. I think the director um, doesn't understand what the fuck he's supposed to be doing. He really, really doesn't. Um, you know, and, and I think the same thing can be said for pretty much all of the cast. Like I said, I, I think they do an amazing job with what they've got. The trouble is that what they've got is absolutely fucking awful. Yeah. Um, and makes no sense, you know. I mean, even... You know, when you look at when this came out, this came out in 1999, so 
it was filmed um it was sort of mid season two early season three buffy that's why the hairstyle is the way it is on the promotional art which is fucking terrible as yeah well. it is um, it is buffy promotional picture but they've just gone into photoshop and they've changed the color of her hair yeah oh no it's it's a new picture it's just that that was sarah michelle geller's actual like that was her promo pose at the time and the haircut is is the haircut yeah um, what what they did was kind of they didn't go for a natural hair color, but they didn't want the blonde either to separate her from Buffy, I think. So they've ended up with this weird kind of strawberry blonde tinge, which just looks really fake is the problem. Um, Although and, and a... accurate for the late 90s. Like this, the one thing I've yeah. got to give it is I was getting hardcore 90s nostalgia with the rest of it. I was just like, that was a genuine hair color. Oh, very much so. There, there are so many 90s cliches in this film. It's unbelievable. And just when you think they can't... I mean, we'll talk about it when we go through, yeah. but I was watching this film ticking off the 90s cliches yeah. and then Semi-Sonic kicked in. And I was just <laughs> like, fuck me, really? Like, I just got to the um, end of it and I was just like, I would feel bad about how much of like Sarah Michelle Gellar's like, wardrobe and accessories... I owned at the time, but then I was like 18, so it's fine, actually. I'm going to cut myself a break. Like, I'm allowed to have that shit when I'm 18. Yeah. But, like, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, Buffy is still on the rise at this point, so she's a she's not really rising thought she's already established in the u.s yeah. but buffy is becoming a thing you got sean patrick flannery who's just coming off the back of boondog saints as well so you know this this is quite a buzzy cast you know and, and this film really could have done a lot better were it handled better now that that plays into the production as well I, I, as i say i'll talk about some of that anecdotally as we go through but let's start diving into it then now the yeah. first thing i've got to say one like there are some things i like about this film right and some of them are actually you know, pretty simple things. One of them being that I always have time for just straight up credits at the start of a film. Like, no, no fucking around trying to establish the story or anything like that. Like, this is what you're about to watch. This is the people that are in it. This is what it's called. Now let's go. Yeah. Like, and that's what this is. You just get blank title screens. You get the cast's name, the title of the film, and then we're in. Fine. I've always got time for that. Let's just get that yeah. done out of the way. Um. But then, unfortunately, and this isn't the film's fault, I paid five ninety nine, I think, for the HD version of this. And it's one of the worst transfers I think I've ever seen to digital in my life. It's fucking abysmal. So straight away, I was pissed off because I'm like, I've, I've spent money on this, spent a decent amount of money on this for the film that it is as well. And you can't even be bothered to get the fucking transfer right. The audio dub is fucking terrible. Um, now, look, this was the Amazon version. Your mileage may vary. I know it's available on, like, whatever Apple call themselves now. Is it iMovie or iTunes? Oh, I don't fucking know. I don't do Apple. Um, but I know Mark bought it on there, and it was cheaper as well, I think. So we had a better deal. So if you haven't watched this yet, listeners, and I don't know why you're listening to us if you haven't, but I recommend <laughs> going and getting it on Apple because it's cheaper. And trust me, if you pay a penny for this film, you've been ripped off. Yeah, so. 100%. Like, I, so, I just got the SD rental because I thought it would be cheaper. It wasn't. It was the same price as the HD rental, which I was already a little bit peed with. But I didn't have any issues with the audio and stuff. So Yeah, you didn't miss much by getting the SD version, to be honest. No. Um, okay, so so then we're into the film proper. And um, Sir Michelle goes at the market. Yeah. She's doing some shopping for a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets approached by... Uh, she's only there to buy fucking raspberries, right? That's all she wants is some yeah. raspberries. And she gets approached by this weird leisure suit wearing guy with a box of crabs, basically, trying to sell her a box of magic crabs. Now, she is insistent that she does not want these crabs, does not know what to do with these crabs. She absolutely does not want them. 
And yet somehow over the course of this conversation, we managed to get from take my crabs, which is an actual line, to <laughs> to her agreeing to get them for inexplicable reasons because she doesn't even know what to do with the things why would you buy like of all the things you could buy even if you're a chef right if you if somebody comes up to you with a mystery ingredient if somebody goes like here's a box of mushrooms going cheap right even if you don't know what to do with them you might be like fuck around with them then like they're not going to get up and walk off the counter or anything they're not going to bite me they're just mushrooms why would you have something you've got to care for? If you don't want them, why would you be like, yeah, sure, I'll buy a box and of also, crabs that like, I'll have to, like, feed and shit? I, like, wouldn't, I wouldn't buy them at, like, a farmer's market. Like, if I wanted crabs, I'd go to an actual, like, fish market. Well, right, you'd go to a fish market, yeah. Yeah, because, so, like, you know, also, wrong time of the day. To, like, I'm sorry to get, like, a little bit technical, but the, the thing is, is, like, the, the story is only part of the issues I had. Like, just unsanitary is the biggest word that comes to <laughs> mind about this film. Like, it was it was getting to the point where I was, like, actually getting grossed out of places. I was just like, oh, no. And bear in yeah. mind, I fucking love Hannibal. And it's a case of... Like, There's a jump. This is, no, the point is, this is a serial killer preparing, like, lungs and shit. But, like, it looks so beautiful that I'm just like, oh, do you know what? Like, even though I don't like awful and I'm especially not into eating people... I would fucking eat that. That looks amazing. But this whole film, I was just like, oh no, oh no, oh no. like health board. Health board is a thing. Why? Where's the health board? Like, that's why your restaurant's closing, love. <laughs> and yet, there is an entire community of foodies that worship this film. Like, you just just Google simply irresistible food. People have cloned the recipes. They're all over Instagram but the first where they've recreated so them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's a, it's a thing. The oh, food God. from this movie is an absolute thing, especially the peach. And believe me, we'll talk about that peach. Mm. Um, but that is especially a thing. So anyway, yeah, guy comes up with a box of magic crabs, and somehow through a bunch of fuckery with you know yeah. explaining mm. that he knew her mother somehow, and it, they, this suggestion that maybe this guy is an angel, I think, is what I'm getting. I, I think oh, he's I meant to be that. like a guardian angel or something, right? Because he knew her mother, who's dead, and. You know, he knows his mother, her mother used to cook and stuff like that. So anyway. The, the turn of phrase that she had about the door opening thing. Oh, I've, I've written that down. That, that's repeated a few times. That's yeah. on my next page of notes. We'll get to that. Oh, um, but somehow we get from, no, thank you, sir. I don't want your crabs. I absolutely have no idea what to do with them if I bought them. To, yes, please, I'll take your crabs. And then him saying, they're $59. So somehow, even in this opening exchange, we've gone from, I'm your guardian angel, your mother sent me with a box of magic crabs to help you meet the man of your dreams and turn the fortunes of your restaurant around, to basically just screwing her out of 60 bucks. Just going yeah. like, here's a bunch of dodgy crabs that are probably not fresh, because they're certainly not from a fresh fish market. No. You owe me 60 bucks, little girl. Like, yeah. he's a shyster. Yeah. Really, what the fuck? Yeah, bear like, in mind as well, inflation is a thing. So like, 60 pounds back in the... 60 dollars back in the 90s yeah these are this, this is like 80 90 quids worth of crab these yeah. days probably you know um so he <laughs> he then introduces himself and, and this is such a weird line um as he's going he says to her i'm gene o'reilly it's been nice meeting you and then he vanishes yeah we like we do see him a couple more times in the film but his name has no consequence. He has no consequence. Why the fuck does it matter if he's called Gene O'Reilly? 
I don't care. Gene O'Reilly means yeah. nothing unless I've missed something in this film. Yeah. Like, who this the is fuck also, is Gene O'Reilly? This is also the point in the film where I suddenly realised what you'd made me watch. And I was just like, <laughs> I need to pause this and go to my alcohol cabinet and get as many hard liquors as possible and mix them together to get through this. So it was probably at this point Helen was texting me and we decided to come up with the Simply Irresistible drinking game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which went something along the lines of, every time there's a very poorly delivered innuendo, you take a shot. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody basically climaxes with food in their mouth, you down your drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll get you shit-faced, I promise you. Yeah, I was quite poorly this morning until about sort of <laughs> midday. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um so, yeah, we get the crabs. There's, there's some fuckery where she runs into... It's Tom, isn't it? Sean Patrick Flannery's character is Tom. I she did, runs I into didn't Tom make note of his name. Because, I didn't give a shit. Because the crab jumps down out of the box and scuttles away and kind of bites <laughs> him on the leg. leg. She, yeah, runs up his trousers. And then she reaches up his trousers to grab the crab. And then we get our first kind of, if you want to call it a meat-cute. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is it's not really a meat-cute because... These characters have nothing in common and we know nothing about them. So why do we give a shit? Yeah. This hasn't been engineered at all. They've just randomly bumped into each other because Gene O'Reilly decided to bring a box of magic crabs to the market. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, she puts puts her hand up his trouser legs, have their meat cute. Then he kind of swans away into the distance with with his beloved and Sarah Michelle Keller. Look, I know her character name is Amanda, but it's going to be very difficult for me to not call her Sarah Michelle Geller, okay? Yeah, that's fine. Because Amanda's they... barely a character. Yeah. So, you know. Um, and and she, goes, she goes back to her restaurant. Now, yeah, we get the repetition then of this line. He says, Gene O'Reilly says to her, the wind from one door closing opens another. And then her aunt repeats that line when she gets back to the restaurant. What the fuck is that phrase? It it sounds like somebody's absolutely mangled like a load of proverbs together and just come out with some pile of horse shit. Like that's that's yeah. not a thing, is it? Yeah. It, you know, it, like it, when one door closes another door opens, that's yeah. a thing. It sounds like it's a variant on that that's very specific to her mother because her mother was a drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or flatulent, one of the two. <laughs> well. Well. Yeah, but it, we don't know it, about her sounds, father. what it sounds like is is a variant on that because the writer just wants to put words into a script that's what it sounds like i mean that's Um, the problem with the whole film it very much is um do we get into this now no i think we've got more we can say before we really dive into the production (laughs) of this film but but we will um i will just say at this point one of my favorite quotes from the writer of this film and as i say we'll get into background of it later and i and i hate to personally beat them up you know i don't like taking swipes of people personally on here you know making films is hard and if they got anything made at all is an achievement but you know sometimes people just open themselves up you know and and i'll never forget reading a quote from an interview with a way with they discussed where she got the idea for the film and she used the words i have lots of ideas but they vary in stickiness I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about this lady's command of the English language, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I get what she was going for, but as somebody that uses words for a profession, yeah, describing ideas as in terms of stickiness, probably not a good idea. However, it does explain a lot of the dialogue in this film. Yeah, um, That's about as catty as I'm going to get, honestly, because actually 
like these two, if you ever see them interviewed, I, I've kind of got time for them. I really have. Uh, and we'll talk about why later on. Um, so I so then we go and spend some time with Tom. She goes back to the restaurant. We find out the restaurant's going to be closed. And then we go over and we spend some time with Tom. And I just fucking hate him. From, yes. From the second we yes. meet him. And that's a huge problem with this film. Mm-hmm. Because I hate him because he's such a stereotype. He has no redeeming features. And like... One of the problems later on with the film is he doesn't grow as a character. Mm-mm. And the reason he doesn't grow as a character is because he has nowhere to start from. He's just a fucking whiny man baby. That's all he is. And like, and, and such an exaggerated version of it. Because, I mean, okay, you want your male lead to be someone that's a bit commitment phobic. But to have it at, like, three dates, and that's yes. his thing. He's got three dates, and then you're out. Like, that's not even commitment phobic. Because that's not even a relationship. No, it's just so much of this film is rom-com by numbers. Mm-hmm. So much of this film is people who think they understand what makes a rom-com work because they've seen a lot of them and they've just regurgitated it. Okay, so yes, the cliche is you have a commitment-phobic male. It's probably a little bit controlling, a little bit of an arsehole, but over the course of the film, he will change because that's the romantic fantasy, right? Yeah. And you'll learn that actually he can open up and let someone else take control and let them into his life and actually he'll grow as a person, right? That's what they're going for. The problem is that never happens and it never happens because we don't really get the ground rules here. We have one conversation between him and his secretary where we find out about his, his three-rule thing and he's just, he's toxic masculinity personified and mm-hmm. that's the problem. He's a walking fucking cliche. And but if... in his defence, and it's not often I'll come to the defence of a character that is as badly written as this, his girlfriend had just broken into his office and uploaded her schedule into his planet and like planned out his entire life, oh. which is insane levels of stalkery. So yeah, I can yeah, understand completely. him being a bit like she's a psycho. Completely. But, but this is one of those points where like, the material is here. They're just not doing anything with it. Like, mm-hmm. if we delved into that a bit more, and if actually what we needed to do here, and I'm not saying we need to make him completely sympathetic at this point, but he is our romantic lead, so we do at least have to understand him. What you do there is you, you play on the fact that none of this is his fault. Never mind all this three-date stuff. You just have him be a little bit mopey at this point and just be like, well, why do I always date these fucking psychos? And then the yeah. secretary can psychoanalyze him a little bit and be like, well, it's because you're a controlling douchebag yourself, you asshole." But the you thing know, is, but as we well, don't get that. Is my this is one of the biggest problems I had with the film is the relationship between him and Patricia Clarkson, his secretary, is is great. Like they've actually they have got, the best chemistry yeah, in the entire film. It's brilliant, and it's a case of the only thing that's sort of like redeeming to him as a character is the fact that they have their relationship together that they do, which tells you there's something about him as a person that's not utterly just write-off and reprehensible. Mm. But we never get into the reasons why they get on the way that they do. Because, I mean, she has no problem with, like, smacking him down and, like, giving him sass. Like, it's a very sort no. of, like, brother-sister sort of dynamic they've got. Yeah, they're great together. <laughs> and and that is because they're both very talented actors. That's yeah. the thing. The cast are great. They genuinely are. They just very seldom have, have anything to work with. Now, Patricia Clarkson has the advantage of being support here. So she yeah. doesn't have to carry this film. She can just eat the scenes that she's in, and she does. Because the support characters yeah. really stand out in this. They do. They yeah. really do. Whereas our leads, sadly, are just left up shit creek without a paddle like they're drowning in this stuff you know um but then occasionally you know like 
occasionally he's quite likable yeah you you do see chinks in the armor now and again and you think yeah he's not too bad but there's nothing for us to hang it on and you know even more occasionally sarah michelle Gellar just she just throws it out the window and she's just like i don't really know what i'm doing here so i'm just gonna be me and that as somebody that's a massive fan of her as i am i see that and i respond to that because she's just she's magnetic on screen i think and you know when we cut back to her here when she's out serving her regular customers and we find out the cafe is going to close like one of the things i said there are a few things i like about this film and one of them I'm going to sound like a horrible person for saying this, but one of them is they will take every single opportunity they can to make Sarah Michelle Gellar cry. And this woman cries better on camera than anyone. And and that, yeah. that's not even me being a fan. Like, I swear to God, every time her face starts to scrunch up and her eyes well up, I'm just, I'm a flood. I am a wreck. Like, this woman destroys me, honestly. She absolutely destroys me when she starts crying. Um, and it, it, look, it, it's it's not even some kind of weird male protector fantasy thing. It's literally that she is just so good at being vulnerable on camera. Yeah. And she absolutely understands how to work a camera. Like, so many performers in this instance would go big. Yeah. And she doesn't. She keeps it in. And she knows when to go big. So when she lets loose, it is fucking devastating. She is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I've got to I've got to measure how much I talk about her on this podcast because literally this will just be Chris's fanboy podcast. Um, but you know she she cries a lot here and every single time I'm just like, yep, okay, that was worth the five ninety nine. I'm fine now. I'll move on. Um, so <laughs> so all of that stuff, like it's never a, well, it is always a bad time for me when she's crying, but in yeah. a good way. Um, I find watching her breakdown very cathartic i know that's weird but i really do um so you know i've just written here actually damn she's so good um like she has this breakdown she starts crying and i've written here this is a 100 percent improvement on this film immediately but then she takes it a step further and this is this again where she's so good instead of going big with this line she holds it right in and she says i can't do this i try but i'm not my mom and she just holds it right the way in and you're just like, just applause, honestly. Yeah. Like, whereas everybody else would have had a meltdown on screen. You know, they do the clear Dane's ugly crying. She doesn't. She holds it right in. She's holding it together. She doesn't want them to see her cry, but she can't help it. She's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we then, like, we're back in the kitchen with her then. So I think it's, is it here that, yeah, it's here that Sean Patrick Flannery, that Tom comes in with his girlfriend because they've had... They get the cab driver is Gene O'Reilly and yeah. he drops them off in the wrong part of town. So they end up going into the restaurant. Um and then the magic crab comes into play because the crab <sighs> just jumps out of the basket and scuttles away across the kitchen and he gets up onto the shelf. Right, I have um, such an issue with this part of the film because also this to me is didn't work for Sarah Michelle Geller as a character because Oh, there's a few things that I hate in romances. Number one is a love triangle because I'm not here for a love triangle because if you're literally sat there and you're torn between two options, bitch, the answer's neither. Like, yeah. stop fucking around with everyone and go off and figure out what you want and then come back with a clearer head. But the other thing that I can't hate is just girl hate for no reason. Oh, I've got it. I've got I've got half a page on this just, because this is a complete character transplant yeah, out of nowhere as well. Com- her jealous it, meltdown is yeah, not a good look. It's not a good look and it doesn't fit her character nope. and it's such a fucking 90s trait. I'm so glad that we're mm-hmm. over in films. Like, thank you Legally Blonde 
for what yeah. you did for just abolishing this. But just that whole, just that whole thing, I was like, oh God, you're really making me dislike you now. Yep, yep, totally. And that's the problem with this film is the mm-hmm. characters are so inconsistent and when they're dislikable, they're really horrid. Like, yeah. it's imp- like bearing in mind, we've just had, like, we're getting, again, it's cliched, you know, because Amanda's the girl from the wrong side of the tracks and she hasn't got any money and she's from this downtrodden neighborhood, but she's trying to make it work and she's yeah. doing her best and she's pulling herself up by her bootstraps and we've just seen a breakdown. So, like, we're on side. And then for no reason, she just has this completely out-of-character, jealous meltdown, which, yeah. you know, it, she's only met this guy once. Yeah. It's not like they're fucking soulmates at this point. She barely knows him. And she's judging his girlfriend, who has done nothing wrong yeah, with she her, is, really. She's literally, all <laughs> like, she's done is walk into her restaurant, and she's a paying fucking customer in your restaurant that's about to fail. Like, Yeah. Yeah, and all right, she's a little bit snooty, but, you know, anybody that's worked in customer service knows you get them like that. You just smile, and you get yeah. on with it. And it's not like, like he's not snooty. Like, no, exactly. Like, you know... Yeah, so Just, yeah, yeah, I don't like that either. What no. did my notes actually say about it? I think I think we've pretty much covered it here, but yeah, in general, it's not a good look. Um, mm-hmm. But we do get our first like proper look at the crab. Like he jumps out of his little basket and he scuttles away. Um, now I will say I think the crab is wasted in this film. I think the crab is one of the best things about it. It's a mm-hmm. bonkers idea, and I'm not necessarily on board with the idea of the magic crab. If it is a magic crab, that's up for debate as well. Um, but I think when it's allowed to actually move and when it's allowed to have a presence, the crab's pretty good. Like, yeah. it's it's convincing enough when it scuttles away. The problem is 90% of the time when you see the crab, it's the same repeated shot of him on the shelf being completely inanimate other than moving his pincer a little bit. Yeah. He's like shit Grogu, basically, for most of this film. Um, but he gets out, he scuttles away. Now, I do have a slight logic problem with it in as much as, like, it, it, it's weird that we're supposed to be kind of attached to this one crab when all of the others are being cooked yeah like what, what why this one crab because because she hasn't specified anything that's special about it and all it would have taken would be you know that was the crab that ran up his leg so she could have just picked it up and be like oh you little scamp i'm gonna call you i don't know whatever she's gonna call him can't think of anything off the top of my head i didn't no. like this film um, but, <laughs> but you know that that's all it that's all it needs is for her to pick him up and be like oh all right i can't cook this one now because he's he's a bit of a bastard i'm gonna keep him yeah, yeah i'll call him sebastian whatever yeah. you want to call him right but we don't get any of that she just takes him out like how the fuck do you tell one apart from the other to start with they, i mean they're craps yeah not, it's not and like they didn't got... fr- also on like an animal humanity no didn't freeze those crabs they just chucked them straight in the pot chucked them straight in the pot they would have yeah. kicked yep they would have um so yeah so so we get attached to the crab and we're supposed yeah. to feel like he's this character and he's part whilst all his mates are being fucking cooked so yeah, that's, just, that's a little bit that's a little bit weird for mm-hmm. me um another thing i really like in this film even though it's totally inexplicable doesn't belong here can't understand why it's here the automatic martini machine is fucking brilliant yes like <laughs> i think that's great yeah um quite fancy one of those there don't know why it's there it adds nothing i assume it was supposed to be some sort of weird character quirk thing for the ant but whatever i like it um it was cool um so then we get back to cooking we're back in the kitchen and this is the first point the innuendo really starts to to come in but you you know all of these different words that amanda comes out with for delicious that belongs in another film. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, she is just, she's gone full on porn parody at mm-hmm. this point. And I am going to say it, whilst it's horrible and cringeworthy 
to Sarah Michelle Keller's credit, she knows what she's playing here and she absolutely nails it. Like, yeah. It's not her fault. Yeah, it's not her, it's not her fault. It's not her delivery. It's the actual fucking dialogue she's been given. The dialogue in this film is absolute dog shit. It is some of the worst dialogue I have ever heard in my life. And that is no under exaggeration. It is absolutely abysmal. I think I would say Um, it's almost worse than, hi, I'm Holly. I'm here to help. See, at least that's charming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't. Yeah. And Um, they've got no excuse because they're fucking, you know, writing in in their native tongue. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, all of these euphemisms that start coming out, they're just awful. But she absolutely nails it to her credit. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely nails it. And not going to lie, you know, you got to bear in mind, when I was first watching this film, I'm 18 years old. Um, I was kind of into this a little bit. Um, <laughs> Honesty's you know, good. Honesty's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm nothing if not <clears throat> honest. Um, you know, as a grown man, I'm looking at this going... Oh, Jesus Christ, what is this? <laughs> this is horrendous. Um, okay, so then I've skipped a little bit here because I think I was probably still just reeling from looking back and thinking how much I actually used to like that scene. Um, but then <laughs> I've then just got to the discussions that she's having about um, being a man and, and thinking within nets. But I think actually it's important before we get there, we talk about the meltdown in the restaurant, um, which... I don't have a problem with that in terms of it establishing our story. You know, the girlfriend all of a sudden speaking the truth and kicking off yeah. and, and leaving him. I do have a problem with the fact that literally the last time we saw her, she was stalker level obsessive. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's the controlling one. And what is she doing with him? And it doesn't make sense. This, Like, yeah. I know the food is magic. I know that Amanda's putting her emotions into the food. But this is on another level. This is like she's had a complete character switch. Yeah, this is this less the, the food's bringing out the inner emotions and this is more the food is allowing me mind control. Yes, exactly, which is a totally <clears throat> different thing. Yeah. And that doesn't really happen ever again. After this, it's all about well, the emotions. So well, see, the, no, but this is, the, this is the thing and this is my biggest problem with the film is so he's not interested in her until he starts eating the food and then obviously the food's all orgasmic and then it makes him fall in love with her. But then the whole there is that whole subtext of the only reason why he's with her is because he's eating this magic food that's clouding his mind. And we've already seen how much it can make one person act against type, which is the the girlfriend's having this completely out of nowhere meltdown, trashing the plates, spitting food into somebody's tie and stuff, just like somebody like that would not happen just mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't happen and it, it doesn't really work as humor either it's just you're watching it going what the fuck but then it just means that there's this whole undercurrent then from that point onwards in the film of like the quote-unquote love story because is it actually a love story or is it like she doesn't realize that she's manipulated him into falling in love with her and she's she's controlling him through her quote-unquote magic powers and her magic food. And I was just like, mm, mm, I, I don't I don't actually buy so, this romance because I don't actually buy that they're in love with each other. I think she's projecting onto him mm-hmm. and he's just completely mind-controlled because he's eating her food. Every time he starts to have doubts, he then eats something that she's given him and the doubts are overcome. So um, there are many readings of this film, as I said, and I think yeah. this is a good place to get into one of them because... Yeah. The favoured one that you always read in in any interview with the writer. Um, look, I don't know how much truth is in this because it's easy to say stuff afterwards. But knowing how things work, I, I do feel like 
this may be true. I don't know if it would salvage the film, but this feels like like true story to me. Um, this script was much, much larger. It was much larger. It was written for a completely different playing age as well. It was originally written for a middle-aged woman. Um, it was originally written for Holly Hunter, in fact. Um, but, yeah, um, studio wanted younger. And Sarah Michelle Gellar was buzzy at the time because Buffy was a thing. Um, cue extensive rewrites. Cue the script just being made a complete hash of. But originally, the intent in the script is indeed that Amanda is a witch, doesn't know she's a witch. It comes from her mother's line, and she is, yes, controlling people through her food. It's passed through the family on her mother's line. That has since been completely lost completely lost and that's what's opened this up to so many other readings you know there's the magic crab theory there's the guardian angel theory there's all of these things but i've read several times in interviews with the writer that there is a there is a much larger version of this script out there where yes she is a witch she's not you know she's not bad she doesn't understand she's doing this she's not in control of these powers um and the real unfortunate thing about that is and, and this shows how stupid studios are people and how little they care um if you want to do that story and you want to play younger, it actually improves it yeah. because you get the whole naivety of it all and the coming of age. And like, I'd have gone younger still. I'd have made them teens if yeah. you want to do that. Yeah. And put her in fucking cookery school or something. I don't know. But there is there is perhaps a more complete version of this story out there. And that would explain a lot of these things. Now, we got to call it as we see it right that's not yeah. the version we've got no and the version we've got makes no fucking sense whatsoever no um so oh, oh that's one theory i think maybe let's just get into um one of my other favorite pieces of, of text written about this film i did send this um in our group earlier helen i don't know yeah if I, I did see it. it i don't necessarily un say would say that i understood it i don't think anybody does because um so writer director and married couple as i say um, and so, so that's the writer's take on on things and what she wanted to achieve. Now, if you speak to the director, Mark Tarlov, um, so this is a direct quote. Okay, I'm quoting from a HuffPost interview here um, that I found about this film, um, where the interviewer says, "Mark, I read an interview in which you said this is really a movie about physics. Can you explain that a little?" <laughs> to which the director, Mark Tarlov, says, mm -hmm. "I have certain obsessions. One of which is particle physics." Einstein's theory of relativity says the laws of physics are the same for everyone who shares a frame of reference. Food sets a frame of reference, so there is a shared sense of the laws of physics, which exists nowhere else except over the plate of food. The example I use is reading a book on an airplane. It's not a problem because you and the book are moving at the same speed, so you're both sitting still. But if you're not on the plane, the book is flying at 600 miles an hour and you're not going to be able to read it at all. The question is... How do you embrace the people you are with in the same frame of reference? It's all about Einstein and theory. And that's what this is about, Helen. We're too thick to understand this film because it's going at 600 miles an hour and we're sitting still. Um, I, think... I mean, I'd be happy to just let it fly off into the distance and just go and watch some Hannibal and take so... the food porn there. I think That's I a do love story sort of, too. <laughs> I think I do sort of understand what he's getting at. He's just <clears> said it in an incredibly pretentious way, okay? And I think it does tie into what we're saying. It's that Amanda is projecting, as we've just said, he's, she's projecting her view of the world onto the outside world through her food. Other people's experiences then are totally different. So if Amanda is jealous of the woman, 
when she eats the food, she's going to be jealous of whatever she's looking at because her perception is entirely different. So suddenly she's jealous of the success that he has, that Tom has, and the fact that he's controlling her when she wants to control him, hence the schedule and things like that. So I sort of understand that. However, it's an incredibly pretentious way of saying it. And I I do tend to have problems with pretentious filmmakers, but I find these guys so endearing. And I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. It's because, you know, part of the reason I have problems with pretentious filmmakers is because I've been one. All right. I was I a film we've student. All we've point. all been there, right? Yeah. If you study film, you've all had this moment, right? But generally, we grow out of it, I think, you know. Yeah. And the ones I really hate are the guys that take this through to full, you know, full term and they've got their careers and they're still pretentious assholes, right? Without realizing how lucky they've been. But with these guys, you tend to feel like, even though he's actually a very successful producer, Mark Tarlov, right? Very, very successful producer. He's only directed twice, this being one of those times. And you just feel like they're so naive about this whole thing. It is like being in film class where you're put on the spot and somebody's watched your film and they've completely misread it. But they've gone to, oh, that was excellent. The way you used the lighting to represent the darkness of my soul. I really, I felt it and I connected with it on a spiritual level. Knowing full well that I've spent a fiver on lights and I can't afford any better ones. And that's why it's fucking dark. But you go, absolutely. That's definitely what I was going for. And actually, let me tell you about metaphysics. <laughs> that's I mean, what this guy's doing. I, I, the thing is, is, I 100% get what you're saying. But you also need to understand that like, the first film that I did was Man vs. Gorilla, just because I wanted to make a gag about a banana case. And that, yeah, was, yeah. that was the sole reason I did it. But then I had to put pretentious description on top of it to justify it in my film class and so I was like it's about man coming to terms with his primitive side and nature and I went and I made up all of this waffle and I did it with a straight face but my lecturer looked right through me and she was just not impressed and everyone else in the class was like oh yeah yeah and she was just like it was all fucking bullshit but that that's exactly what I'm saying I'm your lecturer and you're Mark Tarlov right and I see you I, like I see exactly <laughs> what's happening and i love it i love him for that and i love him for thinking he can get away with it because of course you can't not in the media like that you know even the interviewer was sat there rolling his eyes thinking fucking hell i mean i was more thinking what was he smoking and can i have some i mean there's that as well they've been questioned several times about whether it's actually about legalization of cannabis and whether she's actually putting stuff in the food they vehemently deny that i mean there's um, a lot of smoke in there there is a lot there's of a lot of smoke there. and, there's, you know, lot of smoke. Uh, there's also the original title vanilla fog um allegedly changed because it came out the same year as vanilla sky and they didn't <laughs> want to confuse, confuse oh no the they two. should have kept it because can you imagine them wanting to go and see the tom cruise film and ended up seeing that instead it would have been amazing <laughs> yeah totally totally so i mean there's that as well so yeah. anyway back back into it i'm sure well, we'll can i also just say there was one point just before the scene that we've got where there was some unnecessary rum and raisin slander that happened yes and what the fuck I'm, was that i'm not fucking here for this because no, no rum and raisin is awesome because a it's rum yeah and then you've got a little bit of fruit so you can pretend to yourself that it's actually not bad for you but no i'm not here for the rum and raisin slander I mean, I'm not here for slander of any ice cream flavour. All yeah. ice cream is better than no ice cream. Strawberry is the worst, categorically, chocolate. absolutely. Chocolate. Don't chocolate mind does, chocolate. Chocolate does but... not work as ice cream. Yeah, I don't mind chocolate. Strawberry, I don't like. It always tastes synthetic. But anyway, not an yeah. ice cream podcast. Yeah. Um, no issue whatsoever with rum and raisin. Yeah. Don't understand the hate either. Um, so yeah, we get that. Then, then Amanda starts talking to her 
clearly very heterosexual male cooking partner who's mm-hmm. definitely not gay because this is the late 90s and he no. can't be a black man and gay because people's no. heads would just explode. No. Um, to the point where they have to drop lines into references sexuality towards the end of the film. Yeah. Despite the fact, clearly gay. Yeah. Um, anyway. Still lovable. Still lovable for it. Love him. Great. Yeah, he's great. Love him. He's absolutely he's excellent. Like he's 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 a scene stealer as well. There's the yeah. point right here actually where he comes into the apartment and she says to him, "Don't touch the dolls." And he immediately picks them up and starts making the dolls like kiss and fuck each other and just like he's, he he yeah. steals every scene he's in. Yeah. He's got that thing where he understands and this is this is where you know you've got a really good support player. He understands where the camera is at all times and when the yeah. camera is on him, he does something. He mm-hmm. will never just stand there. He's always actively listening and he's always moving. He's normally doing something quite funny. He's very, very easy to watch. He's great. To be fair, um, most of the background actors in this are actually excellent because there's there's so many in the department store that just, yeah. you've got Sean Patrick just somewhere in the front of the shot and he's meant to be the stitch, but I'm paying attention to the guy with the clipboard behind him because I'm just mesmerised by what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so yeah, we get the line... Here then about you're a man you think with your nuts look i don't call sexism very often particularly not on behalf of males right because generally we are fucking repugnant i'll hold my hands up to that um but this is clearly a line written by a woman mm-hmm. and, and and i mean that as offensively as it sounds like this yeah, no, nobody speaks like this justified. nobody speaks like this you're clearly a man you think with your nobody for a start who says nuts really unless you unless you've got a kid around yeah. Like you don't or kicking the nuts possibly, but it, it's just it's horrible. It's clunky dialogue, and it's it's just really really bad, really yeah. bad, and it it just it's amateurish. Um, and then we get the whole conversation where this is probably one of the better written scenes in the film, and that's only because the others are so bad. But we get them; they get this whole bit then about you know every time a man is thinking about sex, he touches his belt or whatever it is. Um, you know, when you, you get the line, you know, she says to him, like, you know, what what else do you think about? And he's like, sports, cars, money. Nah, we only think about sex. And you're just like, fucking, really? Look, I know this is the late 90s. I know this is a rom-com, but you can do better than this. Yeah. Like, this is awful. This you're allowed, is like you're allowed to have level. people in your film as opposed to just walking flat two-dimensional stereotypes. Yeah, it, it's yeah. just awful. Um but the hand in pocket thing is a good gag, right? If they if they'd have played with it more, no pun intended. Um, See, that's a good gag. I'm here all night. Um, yeah. But that's how easy it is, right? That's how easy it is. But they they always overreach. That's the problem. It's so overwritten, and they try so hard to shoehorn these gags in. If they just dropped this, right? Just drop this in, and then every now and again you'll see the guys touching their belts or whatever. You know, you get this one scene where everybody's doing it and it makes her super paranoid and stuff. Yeah. And then just every now and again, just drop it in. It's a good gag. It works. Yeah. It works. It's just the setup is really clumsy. Um, You know, also, again, just Sarah Michelle Gellar's delivery where she's trying the dresses on and just the, the spark between her and the, and the sous chef as well, where she yeah. tries them all on. She gets the last one. She says, what about this one? And he touches his belt. Like, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. And they play it really well and they understand how to do it. Um, so that's all good, but then they overuse it immediately. They just overuse it and drop it completely. Like if, if it had yeah. just been more subtle, that would have been a really good running gag. 
Um, so we get to the department store. And once again, Sarah Michelle Gellar has absolutely nothing to work with whatsoever. But she does her absolute best. Like yeah. She is purely giving us the klutzy, rom-com, ditzy blonde lead at this Can point, I... despite her red hair. Yeah, and you the know? thing is, is, I mean, I was over, like, clumsy women bumping into things and tripping over things in the 90s. The fact that this is like a central plot point in Fifty Shades of Grey, which leads to the whole meet cute between the central couple, mm-hmm. is one of my main reasons why I took against it as fast as I did. This is before we even got into the contract thing. And I just remember her watching her mess up that display and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I feel for that that sales assistant. Like, oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Like, he spent ages trying to impress yeah. his boss putting that together. Yeah. And she just comes in and trips over it. Like, somewhere... There's a genuine slasher film about somebody that just goes around murdering these fucking rom-com leads because they're so annoying. Yeah. Like, just you know somebody what? We needs write to that. write that. We yeah, should write totally. that and we'll, we'll, we'll do like an on-air script reading for Halloween. Right, copyright us, listeners. We've pegged that one, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like this poor guy, like that's his morning's work and she just comes in trying to be all cute and ditzy and kicks it all over the floor and then her boss is like, oh, no, don't worry about it because you're so cute. Like, yeah. fuck off, right? But she's doing the absolute best with what yeah. she's got to work with. So she's fine. Um, she goes and buys the plates. And, like, as a couple, these guys are not terrible. Like, it's not like there's no chemistry here. They both know what they're doing. It's just the characters are so fucking flat. Yeah. Like, they both know how to work a camera. It's just the character's so bad. Um, You know, and we get some nice little touches, especially from Sean Patrick Flannery, actually. There are some nice things. Like, he gets the bill. And he immediately folds it up into a paper plane. Like, subconsciously. They're walking down the stairs and he folds it up into a paper plane. And then they're able to have the scene where she goes, Ah, you fold paper planes. Conveniently, she seems to know all about the laws of aerodynamics. Despite the fact that she's worked in a fucking kitchen her whole life. Um, And look, whatever. If she's, like, going to night school to be a fucking engineer, fine. Tell us about that. Like, they'll just drop it in as if she knows. Because that doesn't make sense. I mean... But like this, so this is another issue that I've got with the film, is so she wants to be a chef and she's running as the actual chef in the restaurant despite the fact that she can't fucking cook and she doesn't mm-hmm. know how to cook, and she's just doing this to honour the memory of her mother. But I'm not being funny. If your mother was a brain surgeon, you wouldn't pick up a scalpel and start operating on people. You'd go to fucking medical school. Yes. And just like okay so she gets a magical crab and that teach some means somehow she can magically learn how to cook but just no i just have just fucking this this whole premise this whole film it's terrible right now. oh my god it's terrible it's terrible um sorry yeah but yeah so she she shouldn't know all of this stuff right but credit to her credit to the writer first of all because actually this is one of the few points where they really bring this round but absolute credit once again to Sarah Michelle Gellar for knowing exactly how to land this line to the point where I, I think it's genuinely good. Because he says to her, you know, this is impressive. How do you know much about how do you know so much about paper aeroplanes? And she just looks him dead in the eye and says, Hated algebra. Yeah. Like that's a clever line. That's yeah. a really good gag. And she delivers it perfectly. Like she's she's sassy, she knows exactly what she's doing. Like that's great. That's a really good line. And like I said, when they're given the stuff, there's chemistry between them. Like when they're flirting like this, it's it's fine. Um and then he shows her the new restaurant. 
and we get our first real flight of fantasy. We get the ballroom scene. Now, I'll be honest, this is probably my favourite thing in the entire film. It doesn't fit. It has no place here. Yeah. But it's really well choreographed and really well shot. And it looks like a classic MGM musical, which is what they were going for at this point. They even name check it at the end. She says she doesn't want the MGM Hollywood ending at the end. Like, they know what they're doing here and they nail it. And this is one of the most annoying things about this film, right? The director clearly doesn't really... Well, I can't say he clearly doesn't know how to work with actors because, again, I'm not sure it's his fault so much as the script is fucking terrible and you can't polish a turd. Because when it comes (laughs) to actually... You know, to setting a scene, you give him something technical to do like this. Like, at no point is the lighting bad in this film. At no point is... Like, it's not no. particularly exciting, but it's never badly shot. No. You know, none of his compositions are terrible. They, they're they pretty flat, but they're not terrible. And this... no, is how yeah, I would describe it. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it looks like a TV movie, right? Yeah. But this... This dance sequence is fucking good. Like, it's genuinely good. It just doesn't fit. There's right. no okay. need for it. So... I used to do like ballroom and Latin American dancing. I'm actually qualified to teach mm-hmm. because I, I did all of the, the grades and lessons and stuff. So I'm going to give them points for actually like nailing the dance, like the steps and everything. I was just like, yeah, I know what they're doing, but they missed a trick because the thing is, is I remember when I used to do this dance with my dance teacher in order to ensure that I would get maximum grades when I came to do it for the exams. She would make me dance with, we would have a sheet of paper between our hips. And if at any point the paper dropped between your hips, it meant you'd move too far apart from your partner and you'd have to start the dance again. But they spend most of the dance for like the first part of it so far apart from each other. It's just like, no, Mm. no, 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 no. You need to be closer together. And also there's no reason for them not to be, but I was just like, you're missing this Trick and they they nailed it at the end. Like they finished strong. Apart from I don't like the fact that they cut three times for the dip. Like no. just allow the dance to flow, but that's an editing choice. But I was just like, no, why are they? And it's a case of it's not even like a they then gradually come together. It's a case of they're literally dancing like they're sixteen year olds at the school disco and are a little bit awkward with each other, and then all of a sudden they're doing it properly yeah um but that's that's me being a little bit technical. i was gonna say i didn't pick up on that i just thought it was a really good dance number what i did have a slight yeah, like issue they, with they get a 10 out of 10 on strictly yeah what what yeah. i did have a slight issue with and i know mark picked this up um on a group chat last night when he was watching this film um and i, and I know why it happens yeah but it's just the complete change of character in the space of seconds from being a usual self to being a bit loopy because they've eaten the food to just be in this sultry seductress and giving him the come on with her finger yeah. on the dance floor. And it's like, right, hang on. Those are three completely separate emotions that you've just conveyed in the space of about 10 seconds. And I get that the food is magic. And I get that that's where it's coming from. But Jesus Christ, this is moving really fucking quick here. Mm-hmm. Like, let, let's lean into this a little bit more. Um, you know, buy me a drink first. Jesus. Um, <laughs> so so that's a little bit weird. Um but again, I'm going to let her get away with it because she sells it. It's not like, I don't think she knows why she's doing it for a second. Yeah. I, I do not believe she knows why she's doing this and probably questioned it on the day. I don't know. But yeah. she's doing what she's told to do and she absolutely nails it. Yeah, fuck it, it's a paycheck. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, the, the dance is generally good. It's just a shame that I really hate both these characters, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, and it's this point that, I, you know, I think we've, got to start calling out some of these rom-com cliches we've done it already but 
you know, I I think after the dance sequence, I just sat down and started taking stock. You know, so I've got this. This is just an identical nineties rom com, really. We've got we've got supposedly star-crossed lovers. You know, he's a rich, high-flying, successful guy. She's the girl next door, but she's from the wrong side of the tracks, and she's got nothing. She's having to pull herself up by her bootstraps. So you've got that. You've got a quirky obsession for the rich leading man that he likes his paper aeroplanes, just to show that he's not like all the others. He's not totally yeah, self obsessed. He's got he character. Likes paper he likes Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. He's not like everyone mm. else. Um you've got friends on both sides giving terrible advice. Like which is which is a huge part of rom coms, let's be honest. Yeah. Um you've got all of it, right? The problem is no one cares about any of it because it's so poorly executed and none of it gels. Yeah. Like you, you've got, it, it's, it's like I said, it's like the writer looked at a rom-com and broke it down into its component parts, almost like a recipe, right? It's like she had a recipe, but she didn't really know what she was doing. She was just following no. it. Do you know what the problem is? Is it's that recipe from Friends where Rachel has the trifle recipe. And, and she it puts gets minced stuck. beef. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because it gets stuck together with the, the, the cottage pie recipe. That's the problem with this. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, and, and there are many more of these cliches that I'm sure we'll call out um, as as we go through. But you know, in general, we've already said this. But my next note is that actually, you know, the thing is, everything here works just fine. The blocking is always good. The performances are always good. The lighting's fine. It's all just fine. It's yeah. functional, you know. Um, and when when your premise is this fucking bonkers and it requires this much of a leap. You can't be fine. You have no, you, to be great they, and you have to like, nail it. They ha- but they have to, they never lean into it. Like, this would be such a better film if that original idea that she actually was a witch and she's doing these things, they they really led into that and they heightened that and they ex- made that way more extreme and to the point that it's just like cracktastic. Like, I think I would enjoy yeah. this so much more. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then, like getting back onto that point then is the only explanation i can see for the next couple of scenes which make no sense in the context of the script as we have them because he says he's going to call her and doesn't right okay typical rom-com guy dick move so i'll give you that one but then again friends giving terrible advice sous chef saying you gotta call him you gotta call him you gotta call him so she calls him she invites him over for dinner and then, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, he decides to lie and say he's busy. Like, I don't understand why. I don't know what... We, like, if it was... You know, and they lean into this later on. If it was a case of he's trying to work out what the fuck has just happened. And yeah. he feels like he wasn't himself. And we lean into that a bit Yeah, more, because the magic's fine. wearing off. Yeah. Yeah, and we make this a little bit more darker and sinister. Yeah, but yeah. that's not where we go with it. Instead, we just get, like... <laughs> Oh, no, I can't. I'm really busy. But then he does show up anyway. And then she decides to lie to him. Why? What? Because <laughs> the relationship la- based on lies is guaranteed to succeed, Chris. We know this. Obviously. The success in any relationship <clears throat> is the ability to lie successfully to your partner. Yeah. And then, again, just to prove that he's quirky rom-com guy, he doesn't bring her a bunch of roses or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. He has <laughs> to bring her a gigantic potted vanilla orchid. Yeah, that he Which, stole from the department store because he just yeah. saw it and he thought, oh, do you know what? I probably need to bring some kind of flowers. This will do. Now, bearing in mind, he thinks she's probably going to be shut and he's secretly hoping that she's shut because he's trying to self-sabotage. That's why he's shown a blade in the first place. Why on earth 
would you walk through town with a giant fucking orchid? Yeah, Why would it's you fucking do massive. That? <laughs> Why the fuck would you do that? And also, if you're super rich and you've got lots of money, surely you'd get an assistant or somebody to bust that over for you, wouldn't you? You couldn't fucking carry it you yourself. You just sort of say to Patricia Clarkson, "Oh, do you know what? Like maybe send her an orchid," one. and she'd be just like, I "Got your cover, boo." Yeah, exactly. Just like send her an orchid, put a note on it, think of something yeah. cool, say I said it. Like, yeah. fine. Um. So yeah, we get that. Then we get another just little just moment of magic from Sarah Michelle Geller again no pun intended but her performance again like I, some of this is almost like it's written for her you know because she delivers it so well you get the can I walk you home sure they take two steps and she goes thanks <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and yeah. in lesser hands it would have been eye rollingly bad like toe curlingly yeah. bad but she knows exactly how to play that she goes along with him she takes the very exaggerated steps like, her comic timing is incredible. It's almost as good yeah. as her crying. But she just stops, says thanks. Um, and, and no matter how much I've hated the character to this point, little things like that, I just, I love her again instantly. I'm just yeah. like, yep, yep, she's really good. It's like she's, there's a real Jekyll and Hyde thing going on with her character in this. There are times when I fucking can't abide her and there's other times where I'm just going like, yeah, it's fine. It's just Sarah Michelle Gellar doing a shtick. It's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good with mm-hmm. this, you know? Yeah. And the really annoying thing is if they realised who they had, which I don't think they did, but if they realised who they had and they wanted to do this thing where she's a witch and she's actually, you know, a bit of a sexual predator and stuff, like, hello, like, <laughs> Cruel Intentions came out just before. Like, yeah. You know, do you know, have you seen a previous body of work before? It would have been like, such a better film. Do you know who you have? It, it like, would have been such a better film if it was like that. And she was actually like... She's great at it. She, she was both the romantically down the villain this. of the piece. Like, yep. it would it'd be brilliant. Like yeah, female could, Hannibal, here for it. Yeah, definitely. And if we'd have played that, if it had been darker, and if they'd have they'd have leaned into that side of things, I think it would have made sense. But they didn't, and no. so we're stuck with fucking magic crabs. Um, oh. And you know, and, and here comes the crab again, right? Because they move. So the next thing they do, they move inside the kitchen. Now she lets yeah. him in. They decide they're going to have dinner. Of course, she's going to use the orchids, and we cut to the crab again, and he's just kind of sat there on the shelf, and I don't understand why. You know, we've made so much of this crab and we've seen him get up and scuttle away. And now from here on out, whenever we've seen him, he's just pretty much static. He's just sat there and he moves his little claw a bit. It's as if he's, again, it's as if they want us to think the crab is magic, right? And they now deny the crab is anything to do with it. They're just like, oh, the crab's just a crab. It's like, well, well, then why do you feature him so fucking heavily? Yeah. Because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's a bit um, of a shit pet. Yeah, it is a bit of a shit pet, isn't it? And yeah. like, I, I like unusual pets, don't get me wrong, but... You know, however, no, we'll get to it when we get to it. I, I've got a lot to say about this crab at the end, because um, this crab mm-hmm. is this film's saviour when we get to the end. Oh, the, the and bit you the know end. why. Yeah, I yeah, know the scene you you're know talking why. about, and I agree with you 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, so so yeah, we move inside, and yeah, like you were saying, this is this is where it gets really unsanitary, really, because mm-hmm. um, they bring the plant in the kitchen, could have come from anywhere, she starts cooking mm-hmm. with it. Um, and then, you know, were this film to still be called Vanilla Fog, this would be the point where you start rolling your eyes because you're yeah. like, oh, that's why it's called Vanilla Fog because when she cooks with the plant that he's bought her, she makes this magic Vanilla Fog and everything goes yeah. a bit Mary Poppins. Because um, to be perfectly honest, if that much steam is coming out of your custard, you've burnt your fucking custard. <laughs> well, yeah. You cook, is- you'd agree with me. <laughs> yeah definitely definitely but this is magic custard and it's made with magic vanilla orchids um 
So oh, just, yeah. yeah. So she gets the the vanilla fog coming out of the the custard. Mm. Um, that fills the they, entire fucking restaurant. That fills the entire restaurant. Um, and then oh my god, like this is the dialogue has been bad up until this point, but from here out we really start to lean into the food and we really start to lean into the innuendos and it gets even right. worse. Right. So, Can I just ask you a question? Because when this whole vanilla fog thing happened they start kissing and then the vanilla fog fills it and then you see that it's filled the entire restaurant and it pulls back and the fog is up to the sort of the height where it's just sort of like starting to creep over the tabletops i thought this was their way of not doing a fade to black but a fade to fog because they were boning in the kitchen that would have made much more sense that was that was the vibe that i was getting from it but then obviously because she's not that kind of girl that that's not what we take away in the next scene but i genuinely didn't understand why we had that much fog covering everything if it wasn't to imply things got hot and heavy and steamy it's like, because the title of the film was vanilla fog that's the yeah, only <laughs> but the the point of like your vanilla fog is that you know shit gets steamy like it's the visual metaphors right fucking like oh he might know particle physics. He doesn't know visual metaphors. He doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, my, my brain just goes on a weird trip with it, really, because when you actually start talking about the vanilla fog, you know, in, in actual practical terms and in terms of filmmaking, in my head, I know that it's really dry ice. And then my yeah. head, because I think like this, immediately makes the leap to vanilla ice. And then... <laughs> And then I just can't think about anything other than vanilla ice. <laughs> so it's really distracting. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you just the earworm starts. And Ice Ice Baby just starts spinning round and round and round. And it's more interesting than the film, made the film so much better. <laughs> it would have, right? If all of a sudden, you know, all of this fog starts rising and he's leaning oh. in and he's giving her the dialogue, you know, and he's leaning in. And he's like, oh, amazing. <laughs> Tastes so good. It's sweet, yet spicy. And she just puts her hand up and goes, okay, stop. Collaborate and listen. I said, like, it would have been so much better. <laughs> Immediate improvement. Yeah. 100% here for all of that. But... <laughs> But no, instead, we do get that terrible dialogue. You know, oh, you taste so good. You're sweet yet spicy. You know, this isn't predatory at all. No, no. siree. No. Um, and also, and she it... doesn't know how to use fucking vanilla because she doesn't slice her pods before she puts them in the custard. Well, she just chucks them in. <laughs> I know. No. That's fucking expensive, that bitch. Well. Yeah. Just use them properly. I know. Just like, what are you doing? Um, oh, sorry. So... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the sweet, yes, spicy, the fact that he's tasting her, it's just, oh, it's, it's oh, gross. Like, yeah, again, with the whole, like, food and the sucking on the fingers and stuff. Like, that's why I was oh. like, they're totally fucking yeah, boning. Yeah, they're gonna fuck. Yeah, they're gonna fuck. Um, oh, God, but, like, the thing is, film, as, as cringeworthy as all of this is, right, I think, like, I like a good rom-com. I like a bad rom-com, to be honest, as well, right? As long as it's passable, I'll watch a rom-com. They're easy, right? It's the fucking yeah. cinematic equivalent of a bag of sweets, right? Yeah. It's dead easy. Yeah. But because I don't give a shit about these characters, it just annoys me. Like, I would I would be on board for all of this to the point of enjoyment, not saying that it's good, but to the point of being able to enjoy this film, I would be on board for all of it if he had just started out as a complete and utter asshole for a reason, 
other than just being a douchebag because, because i'm just going like why are you interested in this guy what yeah, is his thing because the problem is is that it's not a romance because you no. haven't like established who they are and why they come together and it's not a fucking comedy no it's because it's, it's it's neither of them which is why i'm just like if they'd lent into making this something that's like a little bit dark and twisty and it's marketing himself as this like sweet fluffy like little souffle of a rom-com and actually it's got like this like really fucking dark center that the second you put your spoon in you're like oh that's a lava cake oh shit it's all over my plate oh fuck this wasn't what i was expecting it'd be brilliant mm. And 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 especially you know when the director now anyway is is glowing on or to say now as I say he's no longer with us but yeah. started going on these flights of fancy about like particle physics and Einstein's theory of relativity and then we've got why is the crab there and we've got you know why did the angel show up and then vanish and you know there's the potential here if you really wanted like this gets almost Lynchian at points. And there's the potential to lean into that as well, if you want. And again, dress it up as this little rom-com. And so your fucking average 19-year-old teenager comes out of it with their fucking mind blown. Because they're like, what was that with the crab? Were they all on drugs? What was he doing? I don't, I don't, but it's, they don't lean into that either. And yeah. I feel like it's neither one or the other. Like there's the potential for a really decent fucked up indie here. Mm-hmm. And they just, they, they don't reach for it. They I think maybe they would, but the studio was just like, no, no, this is going to be our big summer movie starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. So actually it was a fall release, I think, but it was going to be like, no, this is our, you know, this is going to be a tent pole for us. Fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> so I, I oh, and, and just, you know, just when you think we can't get any worse with the rom-com tropes. Here comes our montage of her learning how to cook. And of course, it's set to a quirky pop rock cover. How very mm. 90s of them, you yeah. know, yeah. just uh, and it's, awful. It's obviously, it's a Claire's because there is no more phallic food than the Claire's. But they miss the obvious gag of somebody bites into the Claire and all the, scree- the cream squirts out the end and their romantic encounter also fails. Yeah, that would have been, yeah. Yeah. I was expecting that the whole time. Yeah, but you don't get that. You do get lots of cream over people's faces. You get lots of orgasm noises when they bite into these caramel eclairs. The scene scene where Patricia Clarkson has the eclair in the office, she is so fucking post-coital the entire time. Oh, yeah, and she's phenomenal in that scene. She's amazing. That is the one point in this entire film where the central premise actually connects and you really understand what's going on. She completely nails it. And you don't need any explanation from anybody because it's all there in her performance. You 100% understand what's happened. Um, so, that yeah, we get we get the eclairs, right? And he goes into the office and he steals a box of eclairs from, like, the old couple. Yeah. Which, like... He sniffs them out on the shop floor, though, like a shark yeah, sent him blood yeah, in like the water. Like, again, so that, so that leans into the witch thing, right? Yeah. But he could literally just go back to Amanda and get more. Why yeah. does he have to steal them from the old couple? This exactly. makes no narrative sense whatsoever. Patricia Clarkson had zero issues phoning up her assistant and saying, this is the bakery, go there and get me as many as you can. Plus the fact, like, she made them for him. If yeah. he phones up and says, I really like those, can I have some more? 
What's she going to do? Say no, fuck off. I don't think so. She's going to be like, yeah, come around. I'll There's been like feed them We've seen you. like 60 of them on screen. She's yeah. got like fucking trays Loads. and trays of them. The oh, restaurant's not that successful. When we're talking food technique as well, she can't pipe <clears throat> clears either. Like, well, no. and, and what's really annoying about that is you can get a hand double to do that shit. Like, don't leave. They look like turds when she's piping them. They're fucking terrible. Again, like, this is this is one of my big problems with the film. As I said, because fucking love Hannibal and Hannibal does its food porn as mm-hmm. food porn. And it is fucking amazing. And yeah, okay. So Mad Mickelson was just like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to learn how to like split an egg on my knife because I'm just that extra. And that's the reason why you hire me. But, you know, they had... um food stylists that made the food look appealing i mean that first crab thing that she makes jesus oh, fucking jesus. christ yeah yeah jesus like i know 90s food wasn't necessarily the best but that doesn't look like food that looks like fake gunge that you get on a children's tv show it's the green shit in it it just the looks green terrible shit with the red piping around it mm. there's no fucking crab that you can see i can see salmon yeah and then what looks like cream cheese i'm just like where's the fucking crab yeah, it, it looks terrible. Oh, the food does look bad. Um, so bad. So yeah, we get we, he steals the eclairs. We get the scene as well. Then um, where she's she's post coital. It's all very very good. Mm-hmm. And then just when you started to settle into that and thinking oh, actually maybe this is turning a corner. I think I get what's going on here now. It's late in the day, but she she sold it to me. Um, just when you think you've got it, it becomes the rom comiest rom com ever because just when you think it couldn't get any more rom com. Just when you think it couldn't get any more 90s, here comes Semisonic. Like, <laughs> really, guys? <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, that that's the equivalent. Literally, that is the rom-com equivalent or the cinematic equivalent of a busker walking into a pub and going, okay, here's Wonderwall. Like, it's the yeah. same thing. <laughs> and the other thing as well is you and I both know how much fucking money they would have paid for that. Oh, obscene amounts of money. D- ditch the song, get a food stylist. Yeah, completely. Like, completely. You would have paid half of that. Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, get get a cheaper song. No, like every yeah. rom com doesn't have to use semisonic. Just yeah. saying. Um so <laughs> say no, this is a bad song. It's not. No. But you know, you don't have to feature in every rom com ever. Yeah. Um so then like we she discusses the crab, right? There's a discussion about the crab. Mm-hmm. And she says, he's not your normal crab. So that implies that she knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why is she now keeping him as a pet then? Like, I, I don't understand. Which is familiar because don't forget, we also then get the line, because this is about the point where he then suddenly starts panicking and he's like, she's a witch and she's well, a witch because, me. Yeah, no, it's, it's just before that. They're back in the, in the yeah. restaurant again. They're back in the restaurant again in the kitchen. And I think they're about to bone and the crab shows up with a bit of lettuce on his head mm-hmm. and we have a comedy moment. When they allow this crab to be a character, it, I think he's genuinely good. Like, yeah, it's I a was physical the crab thing. in the lettuce. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's a physical thing. Like, it's not a CGI crab, which it would be these days, right? It's, there's, a, yeah. there's a physical puppet there and it's pretty good, right? And he's got character and she's like, oh, yeah, he's like, she laughs at him. And again, if this is what we'd had back at the start before we established this crab, after he bit him on the leg or whatever, and she picked him up and she was like, oh, you're not a normal crab. I'm going to keep you as a pet and I'll call you Krabby or Mr. Krabs or whatever the yeah. fuck she's going to call him. Pincer. Right? Yeah, whatever. Call him whatever you want. Pincer. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Like if the claw fits, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, 
But she doesn't. Like, she drops it in here, and it's like, okay, so you've known all along that the reason this is happening is because you have a magic crab. So why do you act like you don't know what's happening? You either do or don't know yeah. that this crab is the cause of all this shit. Yeah? Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, they have that. He starts to have a freak out because she cooks again, and they start to float. Everything mm -hmm. goes all fucking Mary Poppins is the only thing I can think at this point. Like, and, and then they fuck that up as well because they have a say bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, which, you know, all right, I get it. That's probably a more recognized line. But this is straight out of Mary Poppins, this. So yeah. let's, let's use some Mary Poppins quotes, right? Or Willy um, Wonka. Or Willy Wonka, yeah, that works as well. I always go to Mary Poppins because I'm more yeah. familiar with it of the two. Um, but yeah, they're up on the ceiling. And he, like, I get the freak out. Yeah, I, I think... There have been moments where we see this, as we've talked about, where we see that he's not quite in control of himself. And I think, actually, you know, he's maybe right. I see where this is coming from. Like, she doesn't know she's doing this, but he's right. Like, she's sort yeah. of controlling him. Um, so I get the freak out, but we don't have enough background on him as a character, again, to understand why he's so freaked out. You know, there's this obsession about him being a control freak and him taking charge and stuff like that and obviously she's taken that away from him but i don't think the background has gone in there we haven't seen enough no. of it because you know? the thing is is you've never really seen him actually be a control freak you've seen people no. say that he is but the thing is is patricia clarkson's character runs his day-to-day -day life and then when he's having the conversations about the restaurant he's he's having to just sort of justify himself to other people and he's very apologetic with it he's not taking control and he's not demanding then he's not meticulous with like how he's dressing so you're not getting that sense he doesn't like have those moments where he sort of sits and he just checks that everything's sort of sat absolutely perfect so there's absolutely nothing that we see in the character or that happens in the character with his um, interactions with other people that backs up i'm a control freak it's just you're told it's the whole show don't tell you're being told he's a control freak but what you're being shown is something he actually looks like he's he's quite insecure and this is all a massive pretense and he's terrified of being found out like that's the reading that you get from him that, that i was getting from him yeah like, completely looking at it yeah completely I, it's like what he actually is as i said at the start is just a giant man baby like he mm. needs people to look after him and he needs to feel he's in control but he's not right and so that doesn't then stack with this because no. if anything like this is what he's after right yeah. so, it, so it doesn't stack um but yeah he freaks out um then she ends up going to the office just as the french chef who we've never really seen we've only briefly seen until now yeah but manages to truffle onto people's hands yeah managed to swan in like the biggest cliche in the entire film but makes it work and manages to swan in and completely steal the scene where he's in just by walking in and saying au revoir dickhead <laughs> <laughs> yeah which I loved. Um, look, very stereotypical, borderline offensive, um, but it's funny, so I'll let him get away with it. Um, and then, you know, of course she's going to cook in the restaurant then. We've been building up to this the whole film, right? And yeah, here's, Can we and also here's... just put a pin in this bit now? Because I do need to get the line in, because this, this is a direct quote, because I did write this, because as I said... By now, I'm fully in the hole. She's a witch, and I wish that they were leaning more into this and they were having her have more control and 
like actual like taking charge of the fact that she can control people through her food and her cooking because he says if the broom fits ride it and that just made me laugh because we all know where the broomstick myth came from with witches yeah because they didn't ride it the way that you no. see them in like kids pictures and i was no. just like yeah they boned in the kitchen <laughs> yeah totally and, and in general like this this scene this squabble between them Oh, and then you've got Amanda and Lois ganging up on Tom as well. And it's yeah. fucking brilliant. Like, it, it, this it, shows how good this cast scenes. is. Yeah, because yeah. they talk over each other, but just the right amount. And Amanda and Lois together are absolutely brilliant. Just yeah. ganging up on him where they're going, like, no, yes, yes, yes. And they, they're just completely shouting him down. Again, buying into this whole, like, he doesn't have control of anything. He yeah. isn't a control freak. He is a massive man, baby. And these two women, they've just ridden roughshod over him. They've just been like, yeah. no, we're going to get our way. Sit down, bitch. This is what's yeah. happening. Um, they're brilliant. They're absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, if we had more of this, this film would be great. Like I said, yeah. the cast have clearly got the talent. They just don't have the material. No. Um, so she's going to work in the restaurant. Now, here's one of my biggest narrative issues with this film, right? This is how easy this film is to fix as well. Now, Putting the witch thing aside, if that is genuinely missing from the script, then that would fix it too. But just in a general rom-com sense, the issue really is that these characters have no connection, right? None of them have a reason to be interacting with each other. Yeah. That's the big part of the problem. And this is so easy because she's a chef in a failing restaurant. He's opening a restaurant. Like, why didn't they do this right back at the start? Make him either her boss or her competitor immediately. Yeah. Then they like, have a reason to be together. Mail. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They have a reason to be together, right? They have a reason to kind of hate each other, but not really. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of this. You either make them rivals or you give him power over her, which is what they suggest that he wants here anyway. But actually, yeah. she's in the driving seat and so there's friction. Yeah, because so that's great easy. because you take the narrative trope and then you turn it on its head that mm -hmm. he's he's her boss, but she's the one with the magical powers and so she can control him with the food. And initially she's just doing it to get better conditions for like the people that work for her in the kitchen. But then she realizes that actually he's not a complete tosser. He's just an insecure man baby and she can fix him. Because exactly. we've, got to, like, we've got to allow some of the 90s tropes to come in. And yeah, look, it's tropey as hell. But as I've said many, many times on this podcast, tropes exist because they work right yeah. narratively they work are they clever no are they deep no but they fucking work oh right? if you do a trope right i i love it i love yeah. tropey shit but like if you're going to do a trope fucking commit to it totally 100 yeah. percent. so that's that's how easy it is to fix this film that's just one way you could fix it there are loads but they need a reason to get together they need a reason to be on screen together and we never really get that yeah um so yeah, they gang up. She's going to cook at the restaurant. Um, and then, again, this is just me fanboying again, but he, he says to her, if you're going to do this, I don't want anything funny. Nothing funny tonight. And she just looks him dead in the eye with the most venom she can muster. And again, just lets it all play out under the surface where she looks him dead in the eye and just says, cold as fuck, no, nothing funny. And you just know that... that Honest to God, you swear she would rip his heart out and feed it to him at this point yeah. on purpose. But she keeps it all inside. Her performance is absolutely phenomenal. She's so fucking good. Um, and yeah, I've just got about two pages of notes here where I'm just saying about how good she is when she's yeah, like on the just, verge of tears, about to break down, but she is not going to show him. And she's just a, like, give no. Give a good material, please. Just like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. 
like she's she's so hurt and there's so much venom in her words it's it's fucking brilliant and she doesn't she doesn't let him see any of it but we can see it because the camera's in close um some more great lines then as as we move on like she starts to freak out she doesn't think she's going to be able to do this from the sous chef he says you know even dumbo flew without his feather like that's a great line that's a brilliant line um more of that please um right then she starts to obsess about her magic earrings so she thinks all of her power is coming from her mum's earrings which she's worn ever since all of this has been happening so if that's the case why did she bring her pet crab with her to this restaurant that she's cooking in yeah why obsess about the earrings but bring the crab like also i mean i if i had a pet crab even if he was magic or not, if I wasn't quite sure, I still wouldn't bring him to a professional kitchen with no, a whole bunch of No, because somebody might cook know. him. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Or at the very least, you'd ratatouille this shit, right? You'd wear a chef's hat and you'd put your little crab up under the hat. and then he I mean, at least she's tied and... her hair back in this scene, which I was quite pleased to see. Oh, I yeah. Several times I clocked the fact that her hair was dangling in front of her face while she's supposed mm-hmm. to be a chef. I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. look, I, I know it's Sarah Michelle Gellar, but still, she's in a kitchen. So... Unsanitary! Yeah, to- I mean, look, give her a bandana. That was a look yeah. in season four of Buffy. Like, she wore a fuck ton of bandanas. Just give I mean, her one of those. Also... Because this isn't this is a styling that she does that she have, and it was huge in the nineties. The little thing where you twist the hair back and you put the butterfly clips in. There we are, nineties to fuck, a little bit fashionable for the late nineties, but also out of face. Yeah, yeah, totally. And season three of Buffy, not an uncommon hairstyle for her, which literally followed straight on from this film. So no reason at all that they couldn't have done that. Um, But anyway, um, (laughs) so we yeah, she obsesses about the earrings. Makes no fucking sense whatsoever. and then it's just more fanboying because she breaks down again here at this point in the kitchen. Yeah. She starts to think she can't do it. And I've just written, honestly, I'd pay twice what I paid for this if it was just 90 minutes of Sarah Michelle Gellar crying. <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper than a therapist, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If I need a good cry, this woman will do it to me every time, guaranteed. Um, so <laughs> best scene of hers in the entire film right there's shades of buffy summers here where she takes charge of the kitchen and she turns around to the chef and she says you you who think i don't speak french like she's phenomenal but it would have been so much better if she just called him out in subtitles i don't understand why they did that why they felt the need to explain the gag you know yeah. where she calls the, the snooty sous chef out all of a sudden because he's been insulting her in french um and she just turns around and says you think i don't speak french well speak french then don't just tell him that you don't speak French. Speak French. It's better. Um, not her fault. She delivers the line perfectly. She's fucking excellent. Um, but just bad writing once again. Um, so, right. She takes charge of the kitchen. She starts cooking. Um, and everybody then starts to like experience all of the emotion through their food. Yeah. Um, oh my god, this fucking scene. Like, yeah. this fucking scene. Like, We've we've got to talk about the peach at this point um, because, you know, there's been a lot of innuendo in this film. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of phallic imagery in this film. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen anything as blatant as the peach that gets cut open on the dining table and all of the viscous white liquid oozes out. And then the guy takes two fingers and mm-hmm. places them in the peach curls them back on themselves and starts scooping out the liquid and putting it into his mouth yeah you knew what you were doing 100 percent here yeah like <laughs> how the fuck did they get away with it i just 
I don't understand how that made it past any censor. Um, but it I mean, did. But then again, like if they'd gone a darker route with it, this final scene in the restaurant could have been amazing, where she decides that. So she's 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 over him by this stage because she's realised that he is a giant man baby and ain't nobody got time to like be a bang maid. No. For somebody that's there, so instead you'd play this off like the end scene of Carrie. Like, yes. That would have been amazing. Like you know, like the menu but in condensed form. Yeah. So I. I think I have a bit of Mandela effect with this film, right? Because like I said, this is the first time I watched it in about 15 years. And yeah. as this scene was approaching, I was convinced something along those lines happened. I knew they got back together at the end, but I was convinced there was like, she was pissed off in the kitchen and there was this big meltdown scene where every like that whole dinner went wrong and everybody yeah. just started fighting each other. Now, I don't know why I had that in my head. Maybe that's what I wanted to happen because that's certainly yeah. what should have happened. Mm-hmm. because then that is what should have made him realize what's actually happening and realizing that she doesn't have control of it because he'd realized that she doesn't want to sabotage this yeah but that's not what happens she cooks a blinder her aunt um just breezes into the kitchen and tells her exactly what's happening and name checks the actual title of the film now she uses the word simply irresistible mm-hmm. um, because it's one of those films where you've got to drop the title in the dialogue somewhere absolutely but again if her aunt knows what's going on this whole time suggesting that yes her mother was a witch and her aunt knows all about this like where was this explanation you know round about the midpoint of act two is really where we could have used this so that we as an audience knew what was going on you'd seen it even earlier because you know how you were talking about the martini making machine yes so the aunt is also a witch but whereas her sister did it through food she She does does it through through her beverages yeah yeah that works explains why the restaurant still is open despite the fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar can't cook because everyone's going there for the booze. Yeah, that, that works. But like, so again, they just drop this in and it does add weight for me to the theory that actually there is something else here. There is a better version of this script that's mm. just been so butchered by so many other writers that I, I don't necessarily think it was ever good. No. But I certainly think it was better. Yeah. And that's that's the problem is I think it's just had so much studio interference has been so watered down because some of this stuff is definitely there. Um, So, yeah, we get that. They, they all eat through their food. I'm not sure. But is the conductor of the band the cab driver and the crab salesman? Because I think he might be. Right, he might be, but I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I was about three cocktails deep at this stage, so <laughs> I can tell you. I think he might be. Um, but anyway, you know, she manages to pull it off. Everybody's super impressed with the food. Just like me, she makes them all cry. They all have a good cry. Um, <laughs> see, this is the power of Sarah Michelle Gellar. They all have a damn good yeah. cry. Um, then... But a good cry, a cathartic cry. A good cathartic cry. Yeah. That's, that's what I do. That's what yeah. I get out of it. Like, So they have a good cry. Um, they give speeches. Everybody's having a wonderful time except for our lead because he's just sat there like a bear with a sore thumb he's just sat there with a fucking mope on he hates all of this he doesn't want anything to do with her except we know really he does so he goes off he storms off to his room and then cue the relationship montage we have to see all of their best bits even though they've been on like two three dates at most and barely spent any time together we have to get the flashback of their relationship and for some absolutely inexplicable reason, 
he decides that actually no he does want to be with her nobody's brought him to this realization nobody's talked sense into him he hasn't seen anything to trigger this he's just like probably just horny to be honest like what he should have done is he should have gone in there and just grabbed his belt that's how that's how quick this turn he doesn't wear a belt he wears braces oh of course he does yeah all right well go in and give a bit of rock on tommy then isn't it (laughs) showing my age now (laughs) just go in give it a bit of cannon and ball and then and then like off he goes and then jesus christ the end of this film this this sprint to the finish now if it didn't make sense before none of this makes any logical sense whatsoever so let's break this down right they go Mm -hmm. for the traditional rom-com ending i understand what they're going for but in a traditional rom-com ending like this where our star-crossed lovers are separated and they've had a tiff and one of them actually realizes that no they do want to be together for the rest of their life. You usually have some sort of ticking clock element, right? They're going to get on mm-hmm. a plane. They're going to move to another state. They're going to change jobs, whatever it is. Like, this is yeah. going to be the last time they see each other unless one of them makes a move right now. If they don't, yeah. it's over forever. Like, this is a life-defining moment. Yeah. Except he knows exactly where she lives and they live yeah. in the same city. So they try and go for this whole thing of like, oh, no, he's missed her. She's, you know, she's gone in the lift. No, she's come down the stairs and he's gone in the lift or whatever it is, whichever way around it goes. They've missed each other. It's like, yeah, but he can just go to the restaurant. Like, there's there's zero yeah. stakes here She's whatsoever. getting in the cab. You know, you know exactly where she's going. Yeah. But, but no, just to make a point, you have to fold a paper airplane and throw it at her. Yeah, and it's the one time it goes where it's meant to. Why? There's... And again, even though this makes no sense, right? At this point, this is where your angels, like, or whatever he's supposed to be, or even the magic crab is just, like, off screen somewhere. Maybe the angel's behind a lamppost, or you cut away to the crab in the kitchen, and you just have them, like, point at the plane or something. And just, like, cement this home for us, please. Or just a wisp of vanilla fog come and carry the plane. That's what you probably do. Just cement this for us, because otherwise it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like, all right... great like it's actually a nice moment right the plane is is a nice moment the trouble is it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't hang on anything if we'd have had mm-hmm. the emotional investment calling back to this plane now at this point bearing in mind it was instrumental in their first conversation at the department store that's all good you know you've, you've put the work into some extent just the work hasn't gone into the characters and the work certainly hasn't gone into the stakes and again this is so fucking easy all she has to do is be like, do you know what? I've had enough. Like, this cooking thing's not really me. The restaurant's going to close and I'm just going to fuck off. I'm going to start all over again in a new town. Easy. Because yeah. she's at her lowest ebb at the end of Act 2 where, like, he doesn't want anything to do with her. And, like, this is just her one last thing. She's doing this to prove that she can. She's going to do yeah. this cooking. Then she's going to fuck off. Like, that's just write that in. That'll work. And then all of a sudden, this has stakes. She's not on her way home. She's on her way to the fucking airport. The bags are packed. She's ready to go. Yeah, yeah just... maybe maybe one of the diners in the restaurant for the opening is like another sort of investor and he's also got a restaurant. So he's yeah. checking out the rivals competition. And A, she's had a great write-up in the local press. B, he's just had this amazing meal. And so he makes her a job offer when he sees her. And he's like, oh, you need to come and cook for me. You don't want to yeah. be here. You want to come and cook for me. Yeah, Here's totally. Here's my card. Totally, right? But we don't do any of that. So no. he throws the aeroplane at her. She gets out of the car. She inexplicably decides to go back to him. 
Mm-hmm. Oh boy, where do we mm-hmm. where do we start with this fucking dress? Um, oh. So she walks in. He's put a dress out for her. It says "Wear Me." Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. I mean, you know what I'm going to say here. Um, it, this is just disgusting. It's mm-hmm. abs- but the problem is, it is a male power fantasy. It is something that's established in rom coms. Um, interestingly, if you read any interviews with husband and wife team, she is fucking adamant that this was his fucking. They've been called out on this, and she is fucking adamant that it was nothing to do with her. The director wanted to do this, and I one hundred percent believe it as well. Though. Yeah, one hundred <laughs> because. because- Oh, and it's also such a fake out when the lift pings back down and he thinks she's going to be in it. And instead, it's just the empty mannequin saying thanks. And I was just like, oh, yes, please let her have grabbed the dress and fucked her. Oh, that would be so good. Like, that's genuinely where I thought it was going. I was just like, oh, my God, this movie might actually redeem itself in the final few minutes. And you could have ended it perfectly then, right? If the last shot was him moping in his office holding a paper airplane, right? And then one goes past the window and then she follows on a fucking broomstick with a crab yes. on her back. That yeah. would have been amazing. Sprinkling and Claire's behind her. Yeah, and she just cackles as she goes off into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fucking amazing. Yes. That's how they should have ended this film. I would have, I would have actually bought that mm. and I would have gone with the whole 90 minutes of shit leading up to it just to see a cackling riding off in the distance being like, screw you, motherfucker. Me and my <laughs> crab are off the fucking Barbados. Screw you. <laughs> I would have loved that. That would have been yeah. brilliant. Um, <laughs> but no, we don't get that. No. Um, instead... She puts the dress on. Oh, this is where we get the peach shot. This is all into catch. She's done her cooking. Dessert's gone out. Um, and, and we just get people fingering peaches everywhere as she walks onto the dance floor and the band strikes up. Now, I'm calling bullshit here. Again, I don't normally co- I don't normally care about this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. I will normally allow costume change. I'll normally allow hair change. And just I'll I'll whatever. Suspension of disbelief, right? But she's had minutes. Now, I'll buy that she can get changed and put this dress on in minutes, but what the fuck has happened to her hair and makeup in the space of literally five fucking minutes? Yeah. Like, she's gone for a full fucking... She's gone for the works here. She shows up yeah. looking like a completely different person. Her hair's all up. She's got she's got a full face of makeup on. She's got one of those tiara bands that was she's super got a, popular in the yep, 90s. She's I got a tiara. Yeah, she's got a tiara. Like, she, she does look like proper 90s prom queen. Like so she, 90s. Like, Loved she looks... It fucking amazing she looks like the lead in a fucking rom-com here yeah she again they know exactly what they're doing but she didn't have enough time to get into all of that and i don't care enough to put it to one side i'm just like no i'm sorry calling bullshit here um so that's pretty bad but oh and then we get his final speech both of their final speeches actually and, and it's just it's bordering on parody it goes past cliche this final speech um and then, like, that's the point where it's almost the final nail in the coffin. That speech is so bad between them. But then this film's soul-saving grace happens. The best moment in the entire film. Because then we cut away to Tuxedo Crab. And he's looking super fancy in his little top hat. And again, suspension of disbelief. I don't care where they got a crab-sized top hat all of a sudden and a suit. And t- <laughs> I don't care. I'm just here for the crab wearing a tuxedo. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. I love him. He's a magic crab. If he wants a tuxedo, you know what? He can wear a fucking tuxedo. The only thing <laughs> that would have made this better is if he had a little cane and did a tap dance. I'd have been 100% <laughs> in. Um, super here yeah. for major fancy tuxedo crab. Um, 
and then yeah that's that's pretty much it they end up together um but i don't know what's happened i don't nothing as far as i can tell other than the fact that she now knows she can cook and she's super confident yeah and and she sort of does say to him like i don't know why any of this is happening i just know that i want you Uh, okay i guess that or words to that effect i guess that sort of makes sense but why though because he's a douchebag and you've yeah. spent like a sum total of probably six or seven hours with him over the course of the last couple of weeks that we've seen like you can argue that as characters they spend more time together off screen fine but then you need to feed us that information give us a fucking montage for christ's sake like, and also there's a central conflict that's now been established which is she cooks for her restaurant which is her mother's old restaurant and that's the whole reason why she's wanting to be a good chef in the first place is to keep that restaurant open because it's been in the family for 70 years and that's where her aunt works and they've got all of the local customers she's the chef there and they've had the write-ups but he has invested his entire reputation into his restaurant Mm -hmm. in the department store that she's been the chef for on the opening night for all the investors she can't be a chef in two restaurants no one of them's got to go yeah so what yeah what's happening there yeah like i mean that's that's obviously set up for you know simply irresistible too simply irresistibly or whatever (laughs) (laughs) also just got to say here i've got to point this out i i can't believe i haven't mentioned this throughout the podcast already um we do get the the title name checked and i know it's not Mm -hmm. the film's original title but bear in mind this is a rom-com and bear in mind they're paying for licensed music Where's Simply Irresistible on the soundtrack? Like, wow. what a given. What an absolute given. And they don't even... Maybe it was too expensive. I don't they know. They spent all their money on Semisonic. <laughs> Clearly. Also, probably, you know, kids in the 90s were too cool for Simply Irresistible, maybe. I don't know. Um, but You could yeah, do a 90s remix of it. like well, you know. Yeah, exactly. Use the, you know, pop rock remix, right? Um, yeah. So, I, I, we get here, and, like, there's bits of this film that, like I can't say I enjoyed this film, but there's bits that were okay. Like generally, whenever anybody's doing acting, is is pretty good. And by that, Trisha I mean Clarkson's on the, in the scene in some way. Then I'm she's in the it. scene. It's great, right? When Sarah Michelle Gellar is allowed to cut loose despite the material, she's phenomenal. To be fair, Sean ba- Patrick Flannery as well. Like I said, he's he's a very capable actor. He's a very good performer, right? And when he's allowed, I to felt he I felt he struggled more than Sarah Michelle Gellar. Definitely did. did, but that's because uh, his material was even worse than hers. Lawrence um, Gillard Jr. is the the sous chef. I thought he was great in all of his scenes. Brilliant. Like like yeah. I said, scene stealing. So, you know, there yeah. is stuff to like. And the ballroom scene, I really liked Tuxedo Crab all day long. I'll watch a 90-minute film about the adventures of Tuxedo Crab if you'll give it to yeah. me happily. But just, like, who's Gene O'Reilly? What's the thing with the mother? Why are they even remotely interested in each other? And more importantly than all of this... Why a fucking crab? <laughs> and this is something that's bugged me for a long time. So yeah. I did a bit of research on this, and I've actually found there there has been a lot written about this film, believe it or not. Right, it, it does have a fan base as well. Like there are people that fucking love this film. Um, so I did a bit of research, and okay. you know, somebody did ask Mark Tarlov, you know, why a crab? His response. Somebody like Spielberg would not pick a crab. That's why he's Spielberg and I'm me. 
he does go on to then say, yeah, it was probably a mistake. <laughs> I love the guy. Like I said, he's so self-aware with it. Like, he oh, knows God, what yes. he's doing. Like I said, I see him. I know what he's oh. doing here. And I think he does too. And I've got time for that. <laughs> I've got time for it, you know? Um, oh, uh, any, interestingly, oh, same interview. This is a HuffPost interview as well. Somebody questions yep. the, the whole Hit witch me. thing. Um, oh no this isn't a funny one this is just general about what we've been talking about Mm -hmm. um he does say that one of the things they wanted to preserve was not making her a full-on witch when tom is on the ceiling and he says let me down and she says bibbidi bobbidi boo we see it we see that as she's as confused as he is it's not really magic it's some sort of internal force so we're kind of giving it the right or the suggested reading anyway so you know that is in there and again that that lends weight, honestly, to this fact that I think there was something here once. And I think they've just really struggled to pull this together. And why that is, I don't know. Maybe it is simply studio interference. Maybe it is, unfortunately, that neither of them are, are talented enough. And I don't mean that as a slight. I don't want to, you know, be bitchy about that. This is just facts. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they just couldn't pull it off. Maybe they were confused. I, I don't know. But something, some way, didn't work. And it failed on a spectacular level. This film is an absolute spectacular failure. And that's coming from me. And I, like, believe me, I've watched worse than this. Categorically worse than this because there are members of the Buffy cast in it. But there are very few films that I've enjoyed less than this. (laughs) Like, I can categorically say there are worse films that the Buffy cast have done. Yeah, there certainly aren't any worse ones that I can think of that Sarah Michelle Gellar's done, but this is the least entertaining. This one is so poor. It's so bad because at least the really bad ones, you know, looking at you, Psycho Beach Party, at at least it's entertainingly bad. Yeah. And then you've got, on the other hand, you've got Scooby-Doo, which is much maligned, but is actually fucking great. I fucking love Scooby-Doo. See our podcast on that topic. It's fucking wonderful. Yeah. Um, but this just misfires in every possible department. It's a complete misfire. And it, I just think it's because nobody actually knows what they're doing. It's become so confused. I think that's what it is. There is, It's just so confused that, you know, the director thinks he knows what the film's about. The writer knew what the film was about once. The cast haven't got a fucking clue. They're just collecting paychecks. Like, so nothing's coming together. And it shows and it's a shame because, you know, it's got a crab wearing a tuxedo. Yeah. And I'm here there's, for that. There's there's potential in there as like a kernel of a concept, especially with the cast that you've got, to have done something. I think the really premise good, works. Yeah, I think the people, original premise yeah. works. You know, I mean, I mean I've got look, to, I think food and romance go hand in hand because especially if it's something to do with baking, because baking's all about chemistry. Mm. So you've already got that analogy to sort of like play with. And, and, you know, also food and, you know, anthropomorphic animals kind of go hand in. Yeah. You see Ratatouille just a few years later, mm. like almost the same film, to be honest, without the magic, like kind of yeah. the same premise, you know, yeah. um, even right down to snooty food critics and stuff like that, like all the fucking same. It's all there. Um, you know, nothing about this is enough of a risk that it shouldn't work. It's all so cliched and so just flat and unoriginal that at the very least it should have been passable 
mm-hmm. and it's not because they fuck it so spectacularly and i think part of that is actually you know i think maybe they did shoot for the moon and they just ended up falling flat they didn't even get the stars you know because this just got so they got it bankrolled it was going to be made and then the studio just ran rough shot over it i i do believe them i think um and so they just end up with this half-assed version of what they wanted to make um ruined both their careers as far as i can see this is me speaking colloquially but if you just look at them both on imdb they did one other film together after this um and then just kind of faded away really um and it's a shame because as i say mark tarlov before this is pretty well respected producer like this isn't somebody that's new to film he hasn't directed much but he certainly knew his way around a film set so you know and then maybe there's you know the classic peter jackson problem of like you know you don't shit where you eat like i'm sure it can work you know i'm sure it can when you're in a relationship and you're making films together but you need some fucking distance because you know as we say all the time like we're really close friends me you and matt but we all work together creatively and we're not afraid to call each other's bullshit and you need that you need that but we can we can walk away from each other and and regroup or yeah, we can all we can all have a strategic time out and then be just like, right, that's fine. Yeah, but you can't do that when you're living with that person as well. So no. maybe that's part of it. Maybe that feeds into. I don't know. I'm spitballing. There are all sorts of reasons that maybe this film went wrong, but go wrong it did spectacularly. So, um, mm-hmm. and when I'm not even defending it when it features like my favorite performer on the planet, then you know it's bad real mm-hmm. bad um there are people that will you know there there are people that will defend this film there are a subsection of the buffy fan community that absolutely fucking adore it um, well i mean you just told me that there was a whole bunch of people that dedicate themselves to recreating the food dishes on it and anyone that would mm-hmm. willingly eat that crab napoleon yep so if anybody wants to see this, if you just Google Simply Irresistible Food, you'll find everything you need to know. You'll find the recipes, you'll find photographs. Um, you'll find a link to a few of Sarah Michelle Gellar's recipes as well, randomly, even though they're nothing to do with the film. Um, that's the other thing, right? This is a lady that actually knows how to cook. Yeah. She she almost made a career out of this for a few years there. She's got several cookbooks out. Like, she, I mean, she could have made a career out of it. She did for a few years. I mean, she's back performing now. But, like, she knows a way around a kitchen. So, (laughs) you know, again, you'd think maybe she'd be like, do you think I should tie my hair back here? (laughs) You know? No, no, no aesthetics. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, do you think I should split this vanilla pod first before I just throw it in? (laughs) Like, that's not how it works. I don't know. I think I'm spent. Um, (laughs) This film, I've bought it. I now own it. I had it anyway, but I had it illegally. And this is one of the few films I don't feel bad about not paying money for. Um, Now I have, so I feel like I've justified. Mm. But I don't think I'll ever, 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 ever watch this again. (laughs) I really don't. I have no reason to. Um, It's fucking terrible. And if you've made it this far, listeners, and you haven't watched it yet, and you're just listening to us for some background noise or something, please take my advice. Don't watch this film, please it's awful not even yeah, like, not even for bad film entertainment value this is yeah just like horrible. i need to stress this is the first time i almost tapped out yeah out of yeah. everything that we've watched this was the one that almost broke me it's because there's zero entertainment value there's just nothing no aside from 
crab in a top hat. Um, yeah, but you have to wait till the end of the film for that. And like, seriously, like, I mean, I was pretty fucking wankered by that stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in, in summation, you know, my, my, my final thoughts, we kind of covered them anyway, but I've just written, you know, like, like, here's the thing. We've said it a few times. This has got a great cast and it's got a competent yeah. crew, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just got a fucking terrible script that's full of these half-baked cliched, cliches. You know, it's it's vapid and soulless and it's just plain bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess we're there. I've got to ask the question, Helen, is it better than Mario? No. <laughs> um, I agree. It is a worse film than Mario in every respect, despite having Sarah Michelle Gellar in it, despite having a crab in a tuxedo. I mean, it commits the number one sin, which is it markets itself as simply irresistible. It's really fucking easy to resist. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Like, um, yeah, no. No, this is, this is close to the bottom of the pile for me. I'm quite proud that I've found one of the worst films. It's been on the list for this podcast since its very inception. As soon as Mark and I decided we were doing this podcast, I was like, we need to watch Simply Irresistible. So Thank I'm you so much for waiting as... for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I'm, I'm pleased yeah. it's Cheers. as bad as I remember. Um, <laughs> I know Mark will agree. I, we know yeah. Mark also thinks it's yeah. worse than Mario. So this is a clean sweep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, let us know what you think, listeners. Are you one of those people that love this film? If you are, let us know why. Um, I may have argued with you on the internet before now if you are, but, you know... <laughs> Whether I have or haven't is inconsequential. You can argue with me again if you want. It's absolutely fine. Um, Let us know. Do you like this film? Do you hate this film? Are we on the right lines? Do you know more random background info that we haven't thrown up? Because it does fascinate me. Like this this film is such a car crash that I I really am fascinated by what went on with this. Um, And more importantly, are you one of those people that really likes the food? And if so, send us some photos. What is it? Oh, God, (laughs) yes. How has it turned out? Like, how has that worked for you? Um, So you can get in touch with us through all of the usual channels. You know, the website, ddpodcast.net. You can find this show. You can find all our other shows. You can buy our film if you want to see how we think we can do better. You can buy Mark's books as well. You know, um, you can reach us on Facebook where we're uh, Double Down Podcast Network. You can reach us on Twitter where we're the same as well. Reach out. Let us know what you think. but yeah, until next time, listeners, I don't know what we're watching yet because we're kind of a bit on the hop because Mark's not here. So it's going to be a bit of a lucky dip, a bit of a surprise Ooh. bag. Um, until next time, thanks for listening and I'll see you later. Ta-ra.